everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. Sorry about the short hiatus, but we just weren't in the same city. And now we are back in the city of Austin again after Christmas, and we're here to record more classical things. And my name is AJ Hindenburg. I'm here with Thomas Magby. Hi. And Graham Donaldson. Hello. And our whole podcast is about bringing you the stuff of the classical world in a way that is easy to get down, right? A spoonful of the classics. How's the rest of that song go? Just, just like... Helps the medicine. Yeah. Just like white pasta. Yeah. What about white... Wait, it makes it easy connection. to go down. Like, little kids will eat it. I thought you were putting sugar in your pasta. Is that... No. No. Oh. I'm just saying he's saying <laughs> That's easy not what to is go meant down. by white like, pasta? Yeah, I so thought confused. you just dust it with so powdered sugar. Yeah, my favorite. Uh, and today we're talking about botany. Yeah, we're talking about botany. We're going to talk about growing plants. Um... I mean, obviously, when we talk about things from the ancient world, me doing a short story from 1938, I think, uh, probably falls under that category. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Last millennium. Yeah. This was, <laughs> was a millennium ago. So, yeah, just as long as uh, it's a little while ago. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a short story. We'll get to that eventually. Uh, gentlemen, we just passed into a new year. Happy 2023, I think Hello. is where we are. Yep. Hello, we made it. How did you phrase it earlier? You were, like, surprised that we made it to 2023. I just couldn't remember what year it was. Oh, Okay. Well, do you all set uh, New Year's resolutions? Is there anything you all do? Like, what, what is special about the beginning of the year for you all? Nothing. <laughs> we do big, like, we do a big uh, State of the Union in the family. Like, we sit together and we talk about, like, all right, what are our kind of goals for finances? What are our goals for, like, doing stuff together? Like, play, like are we going to go play tennis this year? What are our goals for... What kind of plants we want to grow, garden, that kind of stuff. Maine and, awesome. and I sit down, we do a big old, a big old thing. And we went then, to the emergency room. Yes, yeah, what you did. Yeah, that's what we did. What happened? Oh, my dad cut his thumb with a chain with a. I keep on saying chainsaw, a table saw. Oh, yeah, but he's okay. But I don't think that was a New Year's thing. It was more of a Christmas thing. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close, but it's unfortunate. I'm sorry. Do you do you have anything in the way of traditions around the New Year's time? Not really. Okay. I don't. If if I have to wait till New Year's to set a resolution, then I'm not living my life right. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. I feel like this is going to start a whole conversation we don't want to go down. I don't, it doesn't I matter. Thought you're a triathlete now. Yeah, but I've always kind of wanted to train for stuff, and that's a good goal. So I, I run, I bike, I do that. All that. Aren't stuff you waiting until the summer to actually do that stuff? Yeah, it's too cold to swim. I've been running. Oh, good for you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, it's probably you know not that not that people need to wait until the new year to set resolutions the way AJ is talking about obviously you can make changes whenever you want to i think the new year is like a common time when people think about resolutions and things like that um so you know that comes in as one reason for the the story we're going to go into the other is that we got an email from a listener who asked us to do this episode and i think they're a patron I think they're a patron if they're not if they're not you made a lot of patrons mad by <laughs> doing give, this episode give, give us your money i think they are um, it just reminded me of the, of the story that I, I very, they asked for us to cover the story and it's, it's one that I like, but the, the, the connection for me is that, uh, the story, uh, it's a short story by, uh, Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Um, it was a, a story that was important for me many, many years ago in my, uh, move from my job before Veritas to my job at Veritas mm. for motivating me into, uh, making that making that transition, so it, it felt like uh, the beginning of the year as a typical time of reflection. Uh, offering the story to you out in listener land, maybe this is a good time for you. And you know, if not, whatever, we just move on. But there were a couple of uh, books and podcasts and and videos and things that were like were helpful for getting me to uh, consider moving from industry. I don't know uh, to uh, 
to a, a, a job in ministry, which was the transition from before Veritas to Veritas. This book made you hate money? Is that it? Uh, no. <laughs> we'll get into what it did. But um, I guess listeners, I assume, know that Graham and AJ are teachers at Veritas Academy. I also used to work there. That's a classical Christian school in Austin. That's like the reason we started this podcast is for the three of us were all working there at the time. Um, so you two, uh, you, you all obviously came to um, Veritas at one point. We've talked about that before. I'm more curious about you all in general wanting to work in education as a field. Do you remember that decision to like go into education working with students as something that you wanted to do? Why, why are you all in this field? Because of the coffee shop I worked at was going out of business, and my friends all moved to Seattle. <laughs> you all are giving lame answers. <laughs> huh? This is, these are lame answers. This is, that's the honest they are, truth. They are honest I, answers. I appreciate that. My, my brother-in-law said, hey, you should try out for this thing, and I'd always sworn I would never be a teacher, and I yep. wasn't sure if it was going to be a good idea, and I applied and got the job and then came down and student did it one day and was like, well... My life here is going down the tubes. Might as well give it a shot. And sometimes I've always been one that I never really hear. I don't trust my feelings. And so if God like gave me a calling, right. I'd be like, that just probably me wanting to do it. And yeah. so God just put me where he wanted me. And turns out that's exactly where I needed to be. That's so, fair. And I love it and I'm staying. Good. Similar thoughts. I never thought I would teach. But, um, but didn't uh, you, so oh you, man, you're so built for it. Holy cow. That's the thing. And you also taught... <laughs> I taught at a, before. Yeah, I taught at a, uh, an inter- international school in the Netherlands, and it was not really a very. It wasn't a great experience. It wasn't super fun. I didn't love it every day, um, and but I always liked the academic life. I come from an academic family. My dad's a professor. My sister's a professor. Uh, mom was a kindergarten teacher. So it's a family business in some sense. So mm. I guess in that sense, like. You grow up in a family of in, that is involved in education, and that's the rhythm of life. And so when you're on your own, well, the first time you're on your own, you're still a student, so you still have that rhythm of life. And so that rhythm of life has just never – I've just sort of continued it. But, yes, similar to AJ, like when, we, when Amanda and I, when my wife and I, we moved to Texas for her work, uh, I was looking for a job, and I, uh, I was coming off, off, off a job, a teaching job in, overseas that I did not enjoy. Uh, so I didn't really want to get back in the to do another teaching job, and then it turned out I enjoyed it. So did it you, was it was. Yeah. Did you try other things in the meantime, and then um, while I was working at Veritas, um, listeners probably know that the school has this unique model where a lot of the teachers are part time because it is a university model school, so the kids are not on campus all the time. And back then, the school was quite a bit smaller. And so there was just sort of less classes. So I was working part-time, and I was also working part-time at a... This was the heyday of the startup life. This was like when uh, when you were like 26, you, all you do, the, the world is full of tech startups. And so I worked at one here in Austin, and it was fine. It was good. But yeah, I was doing other stuff. I like it. Um, does, what does it have to do with Tolkien? You don't know what the story's about. Oh, that's true. I yeah. don't. So um, I guess my experience is different in that um, I I guess I like in that I sought out the school in the first place. Um, I don't I don't have any other like a family member who worked here or anything like that. Um, you know, mine started from a. Uh, I'm sure you all will hate this word, and maybe listeners will too. I the the experience it was very much what. 
we millennials like to call a quarter-life crisis. Is this a term you all have heard before? Mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Good. This makes me feel better. The presumptuous quor- trying to figure out what how long your life is, though. That that's so, one quarter of my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how I do you know? I would love to make it to 100. That'd be great, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, you know that tends quarter to be, life crisis at seven. Oh my gosh, <laughs> well, that'd be, uh, that's bleak. But yeah, that uh, usually it's this like you've kind of followed this one path your entire life and you've kind of made it out and you're working. But then it's this question of like, what am I working toward? So it's not it's not dissimilar from the midlife crisis of like, what do I have to show for? being roughly halfway through life, uh, but just moved up earlier because millennials want something special. I don't know. We want to be special with our struggles. I'm, so. I'm hitting that midlife one now, though. Oh, man. Graham's going to turn 40 this year. It's coming. Well, hopefully that's not midlife, right? Isn't Hopefully that's your 40% life crisis. I don't know. Maybe, I guess. you got 10 years until yeah. you have a midlife crisis. I've had a good run. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Um But uh, during that time for me personally, there were a few uh, resources that were like super helpful for me. One of them is the story Leaf by Niggle, which is why I'm giving you this background that maybe is uninteresting. But that um, for me, there were there were a few things that like brought me into this orbit of classical education. One of them was encountering the Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle's book, which I guess one of you two covered recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Graham covered recently one of one of if not my very first episode on the podcast was also covering one of the books, one of the sections within that book. On friendship, right? Yeah, it was on friendship. It's just that experience of like, um, there's like this deep wisdom here that I'd never had time for, never been interested in pursuing, maybe similar to what Graham was talking about. It's that like interest in um, academic pursuits, um, reading old things, gleaning something from it, and then passing that on to other people became something that was very um, interesting to me, something I was very curious to try out. So. It started with this encounter there, and then speaking in terms of like of heydays of a thing. As I was going through this, there was kind of this like big work and faith conversation happening at the time. Um, that's 2015, 2016 is kind of when this is happening for me personally. Um, and I think you that's, mean culturally there was a big work and faith thing, yeah. or in your own life there was a big work oh, and faith. Oh, I think culturally oh, okay. that this became like a conversation. Maybe uh, maybe I'm overstating it, and this isn't something that. Maybe it only came up because I was like having this happen for me personally, um, but but through that there was this there's this book by Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. Uh, is that have you all read this book before? Um, I've never read any of Tim anybody. Keller. I've never, I've never read him. I mean, oh. I have nothing against him. Just, uh, Generous Justice is also very good if you're just looking for a Tim Keller recommendation. Um, but uh, just that idea of like wanting to find a way that the work that you do ties in with something more important than just I show up nine to five, you know. Show up, show up, and then leave. Wanting to find some more meaning from your work, I think, is a part of what that book is about. Mm-hmm. Um, just for me personally, came at a uh, a time where those were things I was I was thinking about. He also has a, a a sermon that's kind of the key points of that book called "Work and Rest." So if anyone mm-hmm. ever, if anyone is interested in that, "Work and Rest" by Timothy Keller, you can find that still on YouTube. Um, and I guess it, then in the same um, through that. Through that book, there's this uh, short story mentioned, uh, Leaf by Niggle. And it's the story that, like, Tim Keller draws deep um, meaning from. Um, there's a funny story of him just, like, this is a – he would just bring up this story with people. That, um, in a, in one of the published versions of, of this short story, the person editing it shares the story of, like, their first time meeting Tim Keller is on an elevator. And Tim Keller goes, you ever read, you ever read the short story? And he just loved to talk about – or uh, I don't know if – he might still. I don't know. But um, – so this, the, the other connection for the story before I go into what it's about, 
a long time ago, we talked about an essay called On Fairy Stories. Do you all remember this? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. was episode like 48. There's no reason anyone should remember anything about it. But kind of one of the important points in that essay. Is, is it the Tolkien essay on fairy stories or the Chesterton essay on fairy stories? Because they've both written one with a title similar to that. Tolkien. Okay. And so in that story, just the one part that's kind of relevant for where we'll go is that you know, in when he talks about fairy stories, he's talking about these stories with fantastical elements, things that don't exist in the real world, such as fairies. But that like, sorry, but that the point of a fairy story is to get to something that is true, that behind whatever fantastic stories we're telling, there are deeper truths, deeper things that are actually happening and true. And that's what the like good fairy story writer is doing. It's one of those essays in the vein of, um, I think I quoted the Chesterton one on my recent episode about children's books, where Chesterton says that like this idea of there being books for children and those are the fantasy ones, that's a very like new, that's a modern notion. Um, so you're not a fairy truther then? That I think that they, does a fairy truther think they are real or aren't yeah, real? Yeah, they are real. Oh, are you one of those? That wouldn't surprise me. If you I'm, came, I'm a fairy truther? Yeah, if you came out and told me that you I actually just, I don't even know if that's a real term. I was saying it. I, I think it's a real term. AJ, aren't you like a dragon truther? Don't you think dragons are real? Kind of. <laughs> there it is. Um, but, uh... I mean, how do we prove the negative? Prove to me that fairies aren't real. It's a great, it's a great point. That was the whole thing with uh, black swans, right? That, like, people thought there weren't any until one day they found them. Yep. Uh, and Talib made a lot of money. And then Talib made a lot of money. It's a good, uh, it's a good title. It's a good book, but that's the so Tolkien writes this essay on fairy stories. Well, in that same book uh, with that essay on fairy stories, he also publishes this, and will uh, this this short story Leaf by Niggle. So the word Leaf, I assume you know what a leaf is. It's that thing on a tree. Um, when you hear the word Niggle, other than it sounding like giggle, what's like a does that ring a bell of like what a uh, like niggling is like a is a term? What um, you all know what that what that means? Isn't it something that's uh, like something that is kind of slightly irritating? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, um, I also think of it as being someone who's like really um, into minute detail. Mm. Is like uh, mm-hmm. like a niggling detail is like a small one that bothers you um, repeatedly. Um, but that is the name of the main character of the story. Um, it's only 10 pages long, so there are probably I'll probably read chunks of it as we go through this just to say what it's about. So hopefully we'll get through a little bit of plot um, and then talk about what is happening in the story. And I'll try and keep it I'll try and keep it high level, but we'll see how we do. Uh, it opens, there once was a little man called Niggle who had a, a long journey to make. He did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was dis- distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with his preparations. That's the opening line of this. Um, there's throughout the story, there's a type of vagueness to it as to like what is actually happening here. Yeah, do we ever find out what the journey is? He goes on the journey as a part of the story, but um, I think the question as to what is actually happening. When I say someone has to go on a long journey and they don't want to go, does that start evoking anything of oh, yeah. what, what, like what, what do you think the story is? Like, what do you think is happening there? Uh, it's pro allegory for death, maybe. I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say like travel, like flying at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you want to? I mean, there's probably a ton of journeys we've gone on that we don't really want to have to go. Sure, but I think it's it's kind of inviting you to layer on that extra level of meaning of what's happening here, right? Um, Is that what's going on in my mind when I don't want to travel during like holiday season? Just make it all a metaphor. Metaphor then, for death. Oh, man. 
but I get to see my family. Yeah, I was going to awesome. say, how, how, how rough is it with your family? No, no, it's better. You you know, see them, it's great. Family, it's like, your family maybe, listens to this, don't they? Maybe air, maybe airplane rides are like death. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. It's pretty the, terrible. You're in limbo. You don't really want to be there. Nobody really wants to be there. No relationships. Mm-hmm. It's rough. You get sick after. It's dark. I like it. Um, this man, uh, Niggle, is a painter. He's not a very good one. But he is a persistent painter, and he um, cares deeply about his paintings. It's is what he, he a per? Im, I doubt he's an impressionist. The name, uh, if he's niggling, right? Yeah. So it's not because the impressionist would just—they're wanting to capture that first moment of looking at something, right? Yeah. So no, very much not that. Um, his 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 key painting, as the story goes on, is that he's he's making this like giant painting. That is of, um, it's supposed to be of a tree with this forest in the background. I forget if the mountains are in it or just kind of hinted at, but it's this beautiful landscape. I didn't hit the microphone. I hit the wire. Sorry. Um, There's this beautiful landscape that he wants to be painting. But just, um, but life is busy and he cannot get to the painting as much as he wants to. He has guests who come over and want things from him. He has a neighbor named Mr. Parrish who has a, his leg is, uh, in the story, it's, it's a lame leg. He's not able to to walk very well or walk very quickly. And so Mr. Parrish often needs things from Niggle. Um, other people will come by. They want to sit for tea. They want to talk. And Niggle will be very polite to them. He will talk with them. But he always is wanting to get back to the work of this painting. Um, but he is only ever able to make small amounts of progress and this is kind of the, the he gets um, stuck on the detail of wanting to get these leaves to be exactly perfect in the painting. So it's, you know, uh, there's a giant tree there, all, all the stuff in the background, and all he can do is work on the detail, these tiny leaves, um, instead of getting to work on the, on the large painting itself. He... Um, and this is kind of the story of the of the beginning of it. It's it's setting all this up. Um, the the story eventually gets to where um, Parrish comes over. Parrish's neighbor comes over, and Mr. Parrish's wife has has gotten ill. She's, she's come down with something, and he asks for Niggle to go into town to get a doctor. I think also to get someone to fix his roof because there's leaking. But he needs Niggle to go and do this. Niggle doesn't really want to, but he agrees to do it. He agrees to he agrees to help his. Neighbor needs the help. He can't do it himself. And so Niggle gets on his bike, goes into town, um, tries to get a doctor. Uh, and I think he's not able to get someone to fix the roof. But he helps his neighbor is the important part of this. He he does this, comes back, and um, in the course of coming back, finds out that actually Mrs. Parrish, the wife, wasn't actually that sick. She just had a cold. <laughs> and Niggle ends up getting really, really sick. Um, from oh, this, no. he's, it's, um, it's raining as he's going into town. It's like, you know, bad weather. He overexerts himself, but he does this good deed, comes back and ends up getting very sick. Um, following on this, um, some characters come over. They basically order Niggle to take his painting and use it to patch up Parrish's roof because the painting isn't that important to like, they don't, they're not impressed by this painting when they look at it. Um, but as this conversation, so they use the painting to patch the roof. That's what this this inspector comes by and tells him to do that. It's uh, the I don't think it's like clearly stated here, but there's this kind of subtext of like the community not really caring about art in general, mm. and so you have these materials. Your neighbor has a <laughs> hole in his roof. Why wouldn't you offer that? 
Why wouldn't you give that to him? Oh, got it. Um, not caring about the picture at all. So this inspector is telling him to do that, but as the inspector tells him that, a driver shows up. The driver comes to Niggle's house, walks in and says, Niggle, it's time for you to leave. It's time for you to, to, to begin on this journey. And Niggle, Niggle is not happy about this, but he knows that he has to go. Goes with the driver. The Reaper comes knocking, huh? Uh, I didn't say that. The story doesn't say that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, he goes along with the driver, um, takes this carriage. I think there's a train that he goes on. He takes this long, long journey. He's not able to take anything with him. Uh, he has to leave all of his stuff behind. He should have prepared before the driver showed up is what keeps getting repeated. Um, so he, he starts going on this long trip. Um, and then as he gets to his destination, he gets sick. He starts recovering. But the, the thing that he's doing as he gets to this, um, as he starts on this long journey, is he's put to work immediately. Um, um, the place he goes to is more like a prison than a hospital. He had to work hard at stated hours, at digging, at carpentry, at painting bare boards, all one plain color. He was never allowed outside, and the windows all looked inwards. They kept him in the dark for hours at a stretch to do some thinking, uh, they said. He lost count of time. He did not even begin to feel better, because remember, he's sick. That's what kicks off this journey, and then he doesn't really feel better. Not that he could uh, be judged by whether he felt any pleasure in doing anything. He did not not even in getting into bed. He just, he felt bad all the time. Poor guy. Yeah, he's having Wait, a, So what kind of place did he go to? Uh, like a work camp, basically, right? He's, uh, he, uh, it's supposed to be called a, it's called a hospital at one point. He falls sick. He's taken to this hospital. But what do they actually do? Uh, they put him to work. Oh, man, that sounds like a racket. What do you mean? There's like stealing people away, basically? I mean, get some people with a little bit of cold and put them to work. That's an yeah. easy way to make some money. Yeah, I mean, that's not too far <laughs> off from what's happening here. Um, so he's working and, um, he's, uh, not happy about that probably for obvious reasons. Um, he continues on sick and he starts to overhear this. I, I don't know if I'm conveying this appropriately. It's just like a weird story. And that again, what is actually happening is kind of this, the question we get to at the end. He's working hard every day. He kind of starts to get used to being in this place and kind of accepts that this is what, um, where he is supposed to be. He, he, he has some kind of gripes about his past, about his neighbor, about people who were mean to him. He kind of starts to forget about that stuff and kind of come to peace with just the way things were before. He overhears this conversation between two voices, and the two voices are trying to talk through where, where Niggle is supposed to go, like what's next for him after this. He's been in this work camp for a while. Where should he go next? And they're weighing the deeds that he did in life. What, what things are in his favor? What were the, these good things that he did, these noble things that he did? Uh, and what were the kind of selfish, um, uh, self-centered things that he, that he did? Focused, you know, things that were the bad things that he did. They go back and forth. And the one piece of evidence that ends up being really important to him is that he was willing to help Mr. Parrish by going into town during the rain, risk his health to help Parrish's wife, even though Parrish's wife ended up not being very sick at all. This is like a very good thing that he did with no expectation of return uh, from Mr. Parrish. And this sets up then that Niggle gets to leave this work camp and he gets to go to his, this next place, which he, at the time, does not know where it is. He is given some kind of rations to go on this next leg of the trip, uh, leaves the work camp. I think he takes a train. He, somehow he gets to this next spot. 
and um, gets to this next spot and he sees a gate and he sees the bike that he used to have back at his old home on the other side of that gate, unhooks the gate, takes his bike, rides on in as he's riding into this idyllic landscape, has no idea where he is, but something about it feels very familiar. He's looking, he's riding down this path with his bike and all of a sudden he gets to the spot where he sees the tree that he had been painting during, you know, back, back at home that, um, this, this tree that he, he himself had never painted, but had in his mind, he's now looking at It's the most majestic, incredible tree that he's ever seen. He looks in the background, he sees the, the forest that he had always wanted to paint in that, in that painting. And there it is. It's laid out. It's like, he's actually now seeing, uh, the thing that he had only imagined ever before. He looks in the background again, never actually painted, but there are these beautiful mountains in the background, um, that, um, he's just like overwhelmed by this is the landscape he had wanted to draw all of his life. He'd wanted to paint all of his life and he's now getting to see it himself. So he's looking around trying to figure out what is going on. Suddenly Mr. Parrish shows up. He's followed a similar path to, to Niggle. He's now made it to this tree and they're just kind of looking around trying to understand why are we here? What's going on? They, negotiate and figure out that they're going to build a house. They need somewhere to sleep while they're there. And they work together to build a house, little cottage by this tree. Um, and the story eventually gets to where Parrish is going to stay in this cottage by the tree and wait for his wife to show up because she's not there and he doesn't know where she is. And Niggle is going to go, um, he's going to leave, going to go off into the mountains and continue exploring. He's not done exploring. He's not done seeing all these beautiful sights. That is, that's the, the main of the story. There's this little epilogue part where back at Niggle's old home, um, these people are kind of talking about what a loser Niggle was. And, um, they're kind of rifling through his things. His house has passed to ownership to, to a new person now owns the house and they're, um, getting rid of this painting except for this one little scrap of it. This one scrap, um, this one little torn off piece of one of the leaves looks particularly beautiful. One of the people looking at it keeps it, hangs it in this local art museum, but it's very rarely looked at. And I think eventually burns down. Essentially this leaf is eventually lost. And then he's forgotten. That's the end of his being known in the world. Um, that's the end of his painting, the end of his art. And, um, while all this is going on, Niggle himself has gone off and is exploring the landscape, the outdoor location he'd always wanted to, to see, to create in, um, in, in his art. And that is the story. Give me some thoughts on this. Can you recount uh, just a second? So after he got out of the work camp, he went to a place where they decided where he was going to go next. And yes. it was the, he got to go to his, the landscape essentially where he, okay. that he had been painting all his life. Does it tell us tell us the other option? Uh, no, but the other place is if he had been judged as doing mostly bad things, uh, he would have gone to some other place. I feel like there's I feel like there's something to that. I just can't quite put my finger on what it is, though. I just can't. What exactly they're talking about? <laughs> um, I think it's a you know a takedown of the prison system. Uh huh. Uh huh. In, uh, in like you know 1800s England, it was pretty rough. I mean, that's probably true. <laughs> Um, maybe not exactly what it's going for. So, so don't, don't 
don't work on your own vanity projects, but like help your neighbor. Is that the, so you're uh, jumping to kind of these moral lessons. Do you want to start first with like, so there's a literal story of this guy kind of going to these different places. You were making a joke at the, about the obviousness of what is, of what is being referenced. Yeah. What is, what is so being referenced? He's, he, it's a story about, you know, he, he's dying. He's going to some sort of place where upon, where his deeds are being judged. And maybe this is a, a, a purgatory type yep. place. And then they're looking over his life, and um, and then he gets he gets to go to the place where of his heart's desire, the thing that he's always wanted his whole life. Yep. He actually goes and he gets to receive, and that is the landscape, the thing that he thing that he couldn't just quite get in his in his earthly existence. He gets in his sort of post life existence, but he doesn't stay with it. There's sort of an overarching thing where he he doesn't actually want what he thinks he wants. That's, can you say more? What do you mean? So in life, he kept on working on this painting, which was going to be beautiful, but it turns out it wasn't very good, and he wasn't very good, yep. and the thing that was actually worthwhile was helping his neighbor, which mm. he didn't like very much. And then when he actually gets the thing that he wanted, he sees the real tree. Yeah. It's great, but he doesn't stay. He decides to go and see more of the good. That's fair. I don't, and this is probably in my retelling of it, I think there is like an actual encounter with like it is a it is a beautiful tree that he has been wanting to paint and wanting to bring into the world the that even like one leaf of it is enough to like capture a person's attention back home um like there was a there he was going after a good thing by being by wanting to to bring this art into the world. He himself was just over focused on the details like all he cared about was I gotta get the leaf perfect, ignoring that like there's more to the to the painting than just that. Um, but yeah, like I guess you, that is true that the only reason he gets there in the, in the first place is he helped his neighbor. I guess, is that the part you're kind of catching on to? Yeah. Just that he always seems to be focused on the wrong thing. I think that is exactly right. Um, okay. But then, and yet, and yet, and yet he does the right thing. He does. Even by, though he's focused on the wrong thing, he does the right thing. By helping his neighbor yeah. or by going into town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you were then, Graham, about to go into some kind of moral aspect of this. Well, then, I guess it's just raising the question. It's like, you know, is, uh, is it making a criticism about our vanity projects or the things that we think are important versus the things that are actually important? The helping of one's neighbor, the sort of the, Christian, uh, the life of Christian charity as opposed to being the great artiste or yeah. um, working on the project that you think is of tremendous importance when the, the mundane or the, not even the mundane, but the, um, yeah, those, those aspects of Christian charity are, are what is important. Sure. His, his art is brought up in that conversation. I didn't, I didn't say this in trying to summarize, but his art is brought up in that conversation between the two voices trying to figure Mm. out where he goes, but it's not, it doesn't, um, it doesn't sway either person to, claim that he should go to one place or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does come up. He did art. I think it's uh, some of his leaves are quite uh, striking. It's, it's some very funny, like kind of an insult. Cause again, it's just he, all he, all he drew were leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they are quite striking, which is true that the person at the end wants to keep one until the museum eventually burns down. Um, is there anything, uh, any other kind of takeaways in hearing the story? I, you know, I'm trying to draw this into this connection to work, right? Like one's work going towards something that matters. Does that seem like kind of an out of left field reading of the story? Um, 
again, just having heard this secondhand? No, I mean, not out of left field. I mean, there's what, we all have 168 hours a week, right? So it's the idea of what is the worthwhile endeavor in life. Um, I feel like it's one of those things where I really want to, I kind of want to, I've never read it. I want to read it in detail just to see if there are, it's a way that people talk about it. It sounds like that conversation between the two people in purgatory or in the work camp is a pretty critical piece of the story to really understand, to, to, to interpret this, to go down this, this road of interpretation. Hmm. That seems to be the conversation that needs some further, that needs to be a, have a close reading of. And then also maybe the, uh, the close reading of his motivations for continuing to look for the, uh, into the mountains at the end is also a pretty important part. Yeah. This is the, um, when people talk about, again, that this story appears in the same uh, book of essays and short stories as on fairy stories, mm-hmm. kind of the, I think the, the point people will point to is that, so Niggle in wanting to uh, draw this tree is is drawing a true real thing that exists. It just doesn't exist in his world mm-hmm. at the time that he's drawing it. It actually exists in this kind of uh, heaven place that it's, is occurring at the end. So there is like a real tree that he is wanting to draw in the first place. There's like an actual inspiration. There's an actual thing that he wants to express that um, is beautiful and moving and that is worthwhile for him to spend his time working on. Mm-hmm. That's the art right there. But it's not the only thing that is that exists in this place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so whereas he had gotten to see kind of, you know, um, when the Greeks talk about like the muses being the source of inspiration. Like they will inspire an artist to write one kind of work. Mm. Well, there are other kinds of work, right? That 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 could have been inspiring to that person as well. And he begins to lose it, lose that the goodness of that a little bit by becoming so myopic on the leaf, becoming so mm. yeah that he didn't get to bring into existence the full good thing that he wanted to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the work that he did. Um, is important in that it points to something that actually persists beyond his small little piece of work. There's some like greater cause that he is pointing to. And that is the tree that then, you know, Parrish gets to see it eventually too. Other people, when they kind of make it to this place, will also get to pass by the tree and experience the same thing with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, like the metaphorical reading of it tends to be wanting to, um, the artist wants to be able to have their work point to some other meaning, mm-hmm. but, you know, it depends on the artist, depends on what they're making. But, um, many people will read the story as Tolkien and his anxieties around, he only has so much time in this world. He has lots of things that he wants to convey, uh, through his, through his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and is he, is he that main character? Is he niggle focusing on the tiny details to the detriment of this greater message? Um, will his work be forgotten? Um, as a result of that kind of pettiness, which is literally in the character's name. Uh, so I think like that's a, that's a piece of it, but then that the um, wanting one's work to be tied to some greater sense of meaning, mm-hmm. I think is what is happening is, is, is my takeaway in reading the story. Yeah, what's Keller's usage of that book in his, in his book on work. Yeah. Almost that exactly of um, uh, that. What, you know, when you all are working with students and teaching them, you're only one tiny piece of the like development of a, of a student into an adult. Right. Um, but there is a, mm, 
you are contributing to an important thing, even if your work is not the entirety of that important thing. And that's what ends up mattering, right? That you are doing something that, um, that will bring someone to um, a better place, but it doesn't matter then if you are their only teacher. Like you don't have to only tutor to be able to have that accomplishment. Yeah. Um, and that in a sense, like all any of us ever get are leaves to work on. All any of us ever get are tiny pieces to contribute to whatever cause that we care about, whatever thing that we care about. But that's enough because those leaves are a part of a tree and that the thing that we hope for and want, if it's a good cause that we're working toward, will occur, will happen. So is it a good thing that he spends so much time working, being working fastidiously on the leaves or not? So his his fastidiousness, I don't think I don't think is a good thing. The thing he is working on is a good thing. And that's the kind of. Yeah, he's trying to capture a good. And yeah. And that's in like. What else can you do, right? Like, um, his leaves would not have been beautiful if not for his overfocus on the level of detail with it. So there is that. But what is more important is that one's work is directed toward something that will last, mm-hmm. and that I think is the mm-hmm. the thing that people want. That I think is that is Keller's main interpretation, and that is the Im- impact for me. Is that what we what one should be working toward is something you think will last beyond just you putting your time into and it. And the real thing that lasted was presumably perish because his leaves aren't going to last. They go in a well, museum for like a little bit and then ah, they burn down. You say the painting itself. The, yeah. The, the thing that lasts is the actual tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he was trying to show to the world. Yeah. But it actually already existed. Mm. Um, and this is one of those like it will exist at the end of time or yeah, it yeah, will yeah. exist at when all <laughs> things are made right in the end. And that's more the like you're either working towards something that will persist in that kind of eternal sense or you're working towards something that will be destroyed in the eternal sense. And that's like the best you can hope for is to work towards something that will persist. So how did this rock your socks when you were a fresh-faced young financier? Oh, just like at the time that I didn't – like that is not what – I didn't think my work was going to last in that yeah, same yeah. way. Um, in the way that I think that like ministry work is like very easy to see where those kind of impacts will happen, right, that you – are helping people in an in um, important time in their life as they're growing and developing. Um, like, I guess that was more the the thing that struck me during that time. Uh, where I, you know, I'm, I don't really, pl- like, you all should feel free to talk about this too, but I think then, I don't think that this only happens in ministry context sure. would be the only thing that I would say. And that I think there's lots of work that is working toward justice, that is working toward the making of some wrong right, um, and that ministry is one piece of that, but it's not the only piece of that. Let's say that's like my main development here. But I think that desire to work on something that will last beyond you, mm-hmm. I think is a powerful one. Mm-hmm. Like a podcast. Yeah, I was hoping that you, <laughs> I was hoping you all would say your education uh, pursuit was some piece of that too, but maybe not. Oh, I mean, I, yes, maybe maybe now that you sort of, we talked about the book, we can talk about the ter- those terms, but like starting off with that feels a little self-aggrandizing to be like, I really feel like that what I'm doing with these children will last for eternity. But you do think um, that, don't you? I do, but it's you know it's not my it's not my lead in. Okay. Um, but um, yeah. Anyway, that's I. It's yeah the noble work the the, the idea that of a work that is that has uh, meaning and purpose and a nobility to it. It doesn't have to be like the you know, the Ministry of Christian Education. It could be. 
having a well-functioning judicial system. Like you could be a lawyer, mm-hmm. like and then you can say like, listen, me doing this job to the best of my abilities to bring to actually like administering the law, of the land, and justice is a worthwhile pursuit, and I would agree with you. Whereas being like a Twitch video game streamer, you have a l- lot harder time connecting that connecting to- that thread, connecting that occupation to some kind of like sense of nobility other than like amusing people or like my own fame or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I'm 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 curious. I've never like I said before, I've never read. I'm sort of curious just to to really go through it and um and see like is Tolkien is there a sense that Tolkien has this idea that there like that there are things that are not worth pursuing. I guess maybe like I said that um that uh the the the, the conversation of the uh of the people yeah, can, can you say more about that conversation that the that the two guys have where they're assessing the life of, of Niggle? Well, I was just going to say, I'm, it's hard for me to con- be convinced that the the thing that he is pursuing is noble, mm-hmm. the, the tree. Like, I think he has an idea of what is beautiful there, but the noble thing he ends up doing is actually helping his yeah, neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he gets to what is ostensibly heaven, he finds out that that thing exists in reality all along and that he was going to get there all along and that his his neighbor, who was, like, he was wanting to show his picture to, also, also saw it, that. right? Mm-hmm. And there beyond that tree, there is much more good to see. And so his effort is, even though he was pursuing a truth, we're all going to get there yeah. eventually. So wh- what's the point? I'm, yeah, th- I'm, I'm trying. No, I'm, tr- I'm AJ, wondering this if this is perfect. This is yeah. That was the sen- yeah. This yeah, I'm is- wondering if as an alternate reading, it's not saying that that yeah, the work may have like been a great idea, but or even for Tolkien, mm-hmm. like what's the point of putting his books into the world if eventually they're going to get to heaven? And turns out, yeah. fairies are there, yeah. and we actually get to interact with the magical. And yep. he he had spent all this time working on this labor that when all of us eventually arrive will be pointless. And what he could have been doing was helping his neighbor. Yes. Like, I wonder if that's the thing that's haunting him. I think, uh, well, yeah, is that the message of the book? It's like, ah, the things that you think are really important, like the work that you do, the noble work that you're doing actually doesn't matter. It's the... Uh, because we're going to see real nobility eventually. Yeah, and it's the relationship with I think it's both, because he, like, the this opening part is so much about um, Nigel being distracted by all these things. And I think it's, I think it's totally fair to say that, like, the person he thinks he's distracted by is actually his like eternal co-laborer. If yeah. you're taking this heaven reading. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, th- and there's this, you know, the, again, read the story. It's only 10 pages. It's, it's, it's good. Um, there's this kind of inversion that happens where like Parrish is like super not interested in Niggle's painting in the beginning. Like he goes over to Niggle's house almost every day, really doesn't look at the painting, doesn't really care about it. Um, I think insults it maybe in the very beginning. I'm trying to remember, but by the end is like enraptured by the beauty of this thing that he will now live next to again for all eternity. Mm. T- if taking the mm. the heaven reading of it, um, so I think I think your reading of the like reduction of anxiety is is a good one, in that some important part of life is just like, the thing you think are distractions are actually like the most character shaping thing in your life is I think a totally fair reading. Um, it doesn't take away that the thing that Niggle was bringing into the world, like, is a, it, like, I'm overstating it so much, but to say that you're, like, bringing some, like, heavenly piece of beauty into Earth or to Earth, that's, like, an incredibly important thing. And even to fail at that mm-hmm. is to still enrapture people in some way. Like, that, his work still has impact, even though he's, for, he's forgotten in the end. Mm. 
I do think the reduction of anxiety is the point of the ending where it's like Nichols work is totally forgotten after he dies. He still gets to explore his art. He still gets to live in the thing he'd always been obsessed with. But, and then wait, <laughs> so this is a new, a new corner to it. So you're, um, did the, the neighbor at, at all ever become interested in the painting? He in life? comments on it briefly in the beginning and then, he just ends up in that same place at okay, the very okay. end. Um, so he's, what, what interpretation were you well, I was going to say for? that if he slowly like began to really look at the painting and think that the painting was interesting and amazing and then ends up being in the, in the, the reality of it in the afterlife, then, the, then I would have had the interpretation that there is sort of this sense of the work that Nagel is doing of trying to bring heaven to earth through his work is a work that influenced and helped draw his neighbor closer to heaven. Yeah. But if that's, but if, if the neighbor never really cared about the tree that much at all, then um, in life, then maybe not. Um, when Parrish looked at Niggle's garden, which was often, he saw mostly weeds. When he looked at Niggle's picture, which was seldom, he saw only green and gray p- patches and black lines, which seemed to him nonsensical. He did not mind mentioning the weeds. He refrained from giving his opinion on pictures, mm-hmm. which he thought was very kind mm. that he didn't want to insult the picture. <laughs> that I wonder if this is all just a story about his relationship with Lewis. Oh. <laughs> He's working with, with so Lewis. hard and Lewis is like, meh, <laughs> wasn't really into it. And then he sends it to Lewis and eventually the story is that Lewis is going to build a cottage next to what he's been painting all along. And he's like, oh, that's yeah, funny. that's right. You're going to live in Middle Earth, buddy. That's, that's what heaven will be like. Was Lewis grumpy about Tolkien's? Uh, no, I don't think stuff. so. I think actually it was more that Tolkien was grumpy about Lewis's stuff. He used to be like, your Narnia isn't consistent yeah. magically. And he's like, it's for 12-year-olds. <laughs> it's like, That's funny. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it, man. Who cares if I don't speak the same The Lord doesn't make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, don't worry. No that's what I've, I've heard that. I can't. I don't remember where I heard that, but that he also used to bring up these world building problems with Lewis. And Lewis is like, look, man, no one cares except you. And he's like, ah! <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, Graham, I think to your reading about um, Parrish being kind of hooked in by this, mm-hmm. um, the ending has this sense where only. Uh, you know, lots of people will end up in this kind of heaven, whatever place at the end, but not all of them pass through this location specifically, Ah, but some of them do. Mm -hmm. And so some of them like this is going to be their entry point um, where, and they can either stay here or they can continue on in their journey. But does Nagel ever say to to Parrish like, Hey man, you see that tree? That was what I was trying to make. It's not back in the day. And Parrish was like, Ooh, Really? Uh, <laughs> all the black vines were that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they do have a little bit of fighting when they first meet each other again at this uh, location at the end. But, the, but it says that over time, they, uh, they learn to be okay with each other. Mm-hmm. So again, kind of, we talked about this in the Purgatory episode where there are these two rivers at the end. I forget the names, Leth and something else. Anyway, when you drink from them, you forget your life on earth. Yeah. Because like, or you forget the sinful parts of your, your past on earth. And that's essentially what's happening here is that they, they just don't care about those fights from before. Um, but Parrish is happy to live next to this tree that Niggle had always seen in his mind, had wanted to paint, and that, and that Parrish had not cared about one, mm-hmm. one bit back on earth. Was there any sense that his imagining it was what created the tree? Or did, was yeah. the tree something that existed, like a beauty that he was had a sense of and was trying to capture or was it him trying to capture it that created the beauty of the tree for, well, I think you said it three times, but whichever one is the, it was already in existence. Okay. And that, um, Niggle is the one channeling it or like 
again, bring... somehow some had some sort of vision of it that he yes. wanted. So it didn't result from his efforts. Nope. Okay. And this is like a, um, I, I can't speak very, I can't speak intelligently on many, on any things, but on this one, particularly, there's this idea in Tolkien of sub creation that you all might know more about than I do. It's actually not far off from your AJ thing on, um, your, your solution to the problem of evil. The way it works is that, uh, good things are created by God. They're good things. And then we are either in service of good things and wanting to share them and spread them, or we are twisting those good things. Um, the example people point to, I'm going to get this wrong. Are you all Lord of the Rings nerds? Will you all be able to help me? The creation of um, elves and orcs. Um, you lost me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't, I can't do this. But like, it's like, aren't, yeah, aren't orcs twisted elves that are yes. tortured? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, whichever divine being like creates life in the first place makes elf. And then only after that can someone else twist it and then make orc. So like the initial creation of like a living being can't happen, um, but only the twisting of a being after it's created can can cause that. Is that okay. am I being clear? Yeah. So yeah. then so then what what Nigel is doing is he is inspired by something that is actually real, wanting to bring that to Earth, and I think that is what I think that's what Tolkien is conveying is the like the 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 goal of the artist is to pass along these true things that are kind of outside of ourselves. We're we only channel inspiration, right? Um, but I think AJ's probably tempering of this is important. That that doesn't then give you uh, carte blanche to be a jerk to the people around you. Like you're still on the hook for how you treat those people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think people should think about this of like, what is your work going toward? And I think for most people, you can find that kind of good thing that is impacted by it. Um, but you should probably have that in mind of like, what is the thing that you're spending your every day going toward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what struck me uh, a long time ago. And that is what I pass along to you all as well. In addition to all those other uh, books and resources from before. So leaf by niggle, okay. J.R.R. Tolkien. It's a good one. Check it out. Has it, well, if we've just triggered a midlife crisis for you, you can email us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering how, did you reread this for this episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Has it made you feel any specific yeah. things about your work? Oh, proud of it. That, that was my point of saying I'm at a different place now of like, I think five years, six years ago, I could have only understood this in the context of like ministry work does this. Um, and I think now, like, yeah, uh, I think there are lots of uh, fields where you can still do this and that it doesn't have to be nonprofit work or it doesn't have to be for a church or a school or any of those things. Um, again, Nigel is an artist. He's not a, a pastor, even though he lives next to parish, but... Um, yeah, so I still think I'm doing this. I still think that I, the thing that I am working toward is, you know, uh, a thing that will persist, a thing that will last. Uh, and that just doesn't have to happen in a school setting, I guess was the point I was trying to get at. Okay. Cool. Who opened this episode? I don't remember. I did. Okay. I like what do you got? Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know, and you can email us if you'd like at theguysatclassicalstuff.net. Again, we read all of those. We can't reply to all of them because we get quite a few, but, you know, Every once in a while, we can sit down and reply to a handful. So if, uh, if you've sent it and felt like you threw it into the void, trust me, it hits our eyes. We just don't have the time to reply to all, to all of them. And you can also patronize us at patreon.com slash classical stuff. You can tweet at us at CLSSCAL stuff on the twits. And uh, is that it? That's all, the, that's all the things? I think so. I think that's all the things. So for classical stuff, this is AJ, Thomas, and Graham signing off. Bye. Hey. Ciao.